Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to The Power of Love Show, only on L.A. Talk Radio. Welcome to The Power of Love Radio Show, sponsored by the Judy Jackson Foundation, where we shine a light on loss and grief and how it impacts our lives. We are here to provide hope, resources, and a community so no one feels alone in their grief. We believe that through the power of love that nothing is impossible. With love on your side, I am Terrell Jackson, and um, I'm here today. My brothers aren't in. Um, so I'm just by myself, but I do have um, a special co-host. Very special. Very special <laughs> co-host. I'm here with Brianna Cabral. Hi. How you doing, Brie? Good. How are you? I'm good. Like we don't see each other, right? Every day. Um, so Brie and I are going to be running the show today, and we have a special guest who we will get to in a second. Um, but if you are listening to us live on the Power of, Power of Love radio show, um, we want to thank you, and we want to remind you that we do have Twitter. So if you want to tweet, I'll be, I, I don't know if I've ever done this. This is usually Taja's job, but I am on Twitter, and I'll be trying to manage that and run this over here. Um, our Twitter is at DDJ Foundation. Once again, that's at DDJ Foundation. So you can tweet um, questions, comments, and I will uh, I will do my best to uh see them and uh, respond and of course you can call in our call-in number is 323-203-0815 again that is 323-203-0815 um Bree, you want to do the disclaimer sure we are not licensed therapists we're just ordinary people who have experienced loss in our lives have been impacted by it and have learned from it and we want to share our opinions in an attempt to help you overcome what you are going through saying that if you do need professional help, we urge you to seek it and find it. Do not rely just on us. That's right. Good <coughs> job, Bree. Um, and Bree, you have a cough, obviously. I do. So I hear her coughing. She's there. Um, how was your week, Bree? Week was good. Um, as you know, we went to the hospital yesterday with Bryce oh, yeah. for the first time since he was admitted. Okay. And uh, that regarding went regarding his diabetes. Okay. And that went well. Okay. That's uh, it? That's all you got? It went well. His A1C level went down. He was at 12% when we went in, when we got admitted, and now it's at 8%, which is significant. Yeah, it is. It's really the, good. They and target between 4 and 7% is right. what they said the target is. Right. For people that have diabetes, those that don't have diabetes, if I'm not mistaken, I think their levels are anywhere between... Four percent and six percent, right? Something like that. So you just basically so, want to get them below six percent, right? 6%. Which we've been doing through food management and exercise mainly. Mainly. So that's the route that we've chosen chosen to go through. Um, today's an important day. Yes. September eleventh. Yes. Yes. Uh, I was going to get to that in a I second. I know. I just. Jumped it a little. I bit. totally did. Yeah, you did. It's you know what we do all week. It's not like you know my day. So <laughs> the listeners don't. You're it's supposed pointless. to talk about the week. <laughs> Anything that else? Week. That's all. That's all that happened. Uh, uh, I don't know. Boy, I don't know. I don't remember what we did two days ago. No, that's it. Help me out. <laughs> all right. That's all you got. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, boys are back in school. Boys are back in school. How's that going? Good. I'm back in school. Okay, how's that going? <laughs> it's good. What are you it's doing? It's good. So I'm back on PTO. I'm uh, doing a lot of the events. I have a new committee. I do hospitality committee, which they kind of created. Is this a new position it's for you? It's a new position or? for me. So I've been on the PTO, but this year it's a new position. I kind of... What were you last time? Uh, fundraising. Okay, so last year you were fundraising. For the school. This year you're hospitality. hospitality. Do you like it? I do, because it's all about the events that happen at school and the decorating and the food and... All that good stuff. Um, but I do that. And then I'm also room coordinator and I chair the take there a chance go. for the carnival. And, you know, I do so much. So you're excited. A school's of, back. I am. Okay. Uh, my week was pretty good. Same, you know, obviously had Bryce. Um, been uh, dealing a lot with uh, with uh, adjusting the school, which has been good. It's a little quiet, a little different. 
when they're mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been different. I'm very proud of Bryce because he has been, you know, it's a managing thing with his levels. He still checks his levels and everything, and he's been doing well, quite well. It's been in his range, so it's a little bit different, and I'm very proud of how, how responsible he's been. Yeah, he's matured a lot in the past yeah. six and, weeks. And it's so interesting to see Aiden <coughs> doing his homework. You know, he's I, I've lately been watching him do his homework, his math, and his English, and he's, he's on it. They are. They're both on it, and they're so smart. Yeah. They're so smart, Darren. I don't know which one they get that from. Top cause... of the class. Well, I'll give you the math, that's for sure. Bryce is like an advanced seventh grade math. I didn't start applying myself in that school. That's definitely not me. I was probably okay in the beginning, but then the middle years, I would say between... <laughs> the middle years. I would say from like fourth grade all the way to about eighth eighth grade. My grades were not great. Yeah, I didn't apply myself to college. But then I got <laughs> I got tired of feeling stupid. Because we used to we used to, our parents used to give us money for our report cards. So mm. every A you would get you would get like five dollars or something. Every B would be like four. And I remember at the end of the report cards, Taj and TJ were were able to buy toys and things and i would come out with like maybe like seven dollars <laughs> because i'd Cause have c's apply. and d's because i didn't fly c's and d's terrible oh yeah yeah i was i was pretty horrible yeah i got a's in p.e though p.e <laughs> music i was good but i got <laughs> tired of of just feeling feeling stupid if that makes any i it wasn't that I, I i thought i was dumb i just wasn't applying myself so i got tired of taj and mainly taj because taj was like straight a honor society all of this stuff so i really applied myself at one point i think it was ninth grade and my goal was to make junior honor society which i did Mm -hmm. so i i became like anal about it like i wanted straight a's like if i had a b plus i was annoyed and i and i actually did a pretty good job of that and then i just maintained it and uh got easy but um all right you did mention uh 9 11 today is september 11th Mm -hmm. um was it 18, 18, 18 years, years ago, now, right? Mm-hmm. It was. Um, so we want to send love out to all those still dealing with that. Um, Bree, yes. you actually were in New York. I was when it happened. When this happened. I was there September 11th, 18 years ago. I was in college. So what is this day? Does it bring memories back of uh, what does this day feel like for you? A huge loss. I mean, I can't even just put into words what that day was like and what it felt like to be in New York City during that time. I mean, it was almost like, what was that movie with Will Smith, uh, Independence Day? Mm. Like, I literally remember walking the streets the next day and no cars and no cabs being there. I don't Times think that's Square. the right movie. There's another oh. movie that I can't think of, but <laughs> no. I understand what you mean. Yeah, like, there's just it was just... It's just different. Yeah. Different. And like that feeling will never go away. Like I just remember yeah. that. And ashes in the in the sky and in the air and it was just very was traumatic. Terrible. Yeah. Not being able to get out. Mm-hmm. And communication, everything was was difficult. Yeah. I had a two way pager at the time. That's the yeah. only thing that was working. Yeah, I remember um because our family, our uncles actually, I think my uncle Michael was doing his um, 30th anniversary special so my brothers and I we were actually still in California but pretty much our entire family um, from our father's side was in New York so it was it was uh, scary for us as mm-hmm. well um, but let's let's introduce our guest so we can bring her in and get <coughs> her uh, thoughts I'll let you uh, introduce Brianna the very special guest mm-hmm. who happens to be my beautiful cousin as well uh, Gina Barboza. She's CEO of Balancing Acts Entertainment, which is an independent film production company. Um, we are from the same town of Fall River, and she's here today to discuss mental illness in America, mental health. Um, <clears throat> Welcome, Gina. Welcome. Uh oh, hold on. You're number three. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. There <laughs> now I we am. got you. There's my voice. Before we um, get into the topic, thank you for, for coming. Um, Welcome. Nice it's an to important be here. topic, but since we're talking a little bit about September 11th, where were you on that day? 
on September 11th, I was actually getting ready to go. I had braces at the time. I was getting ready to go to my orthodontist. I'll never forget it because I mm. always used to watch the Good Morning America show with uh, Charlie and Diane Sawyer. And I felt like they were the ones that told me what happened. We did have, I was at Turner Broadcasting at the time. Okay. And we did have a film crew out there filming um, uh, an actual shoot for one of our shows, but I wasn't there. And I'll just never forget driving to the dentist, orthodontist, and they didn't know because they didn't have, oh, yeah. they didn't have the radio on. But I'll never forget driving there and thinking, wow, everybody in every single car I'm passing is in pain right now. Yeah, And that's that was a huge, huge impact traumatically as well. I know we talk about mental health and mental illness. And again, I'm not a therapist. I am uh, a personal, I'm a filmmaker who had a personal journey with it. But I really feel personally that 9-11 had a lot to do with a lot of the trauma that catapulted later on in life for a lot of people that had suffered from it, especially not just in New York, but all over the world. Mm. Yeah. Um, that day, that day was, uh, obviously there's nothing like that day. No. And I remember, I remember it was actually, uh, a friend of mine, uh, he actually was, went on tour with this TJ's tutor, Rick, um, back from back in the day. I remember him <laughs> calling me and telling me to turn on the TV and I just, I was, couldn't believe it. You yeah. know, Man, so um, all we did was watch. Yeah. Think about think if we had social media back then. Yeah. 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 It was just so shocking to have something like that happen on American soil. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it seems like stuff like that's happening more and more, more and more these days. Yeah. Sadly. Now they're just walking into buildings mm-hmm. and shooting us. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's pretty bad and it's gotten out of control. Yeah. I don't know. It's painful. If we're getting why weird. do we why do we hate so much? Yeah. You know what I mean? Why is there so much hate? You know, we're all here together. Yeah. So, Gina, um, tell us a little bit about your background. Like, where are you from? And So, like Brianna, my cousin, my beautiful cousin here. Um, I'm originally from Fall River, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Shout out to anybody from Fall River, the Riv, <laughs> as yeah, we call it. The Riv. Um, oh, it's a small town close to Rhode Island. Uh, closer to Rhode Island. That's why I still have, I, I say our accent is Mass York. Mass York. <laughs> mm. um, and so I came up in a family. We were one of three black families growing up. Um, I'm Cape Verdean, which is black Portuguese and half Sicilian. And um, the Babos, the family, is pretty well known. My grandmother had 15 kids. Ooh. And so we took over that whole city. Um, sometimes, you know, people were pretty much afraid of us. So that kind of worked out <laughs> for me growing up. Um, You know, but growing up, um, it was all kinds of cultures, Portuguese, Italian, Irish, uh, Lebanese. It was beautiful. It was a a beautiful, small town. Um, One of my dreams is to go back there when I can financially and and help rebuild it because it's not the city we used to grow up. Uh, Growing up, I was always a storyteller. I wrote poetry since I was nine. I call it, um, it was where I put my pain. My mother was a single mother with raised my brother and I, and she came from that family. There was a lot of violence, to, you know. I mean, I can remember. I mean, I'll get into it later, but it's a lot of violence and abuse, like most families that come from poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of pain and anger, and so it just carried on generation after generation. Plus, my grandparents were descendants of West Africa, so they came to America. My grandmother, I think, was 15 and met my grandfather was like 20-something years older oh. than her. So um, storytelling was always my thing. And I had a teacher in high school named Mr. Vieira, Michael Vieira, who I still follow on Facebook, <laughs> who changed my life. You know, he told me I could be a writer when I didn't believe yeah. it. And so I didn't go to school for writing. I went to school for fashion at Johnson & Wales in Providence. And... I had a very close cousin, Jimmy Barboza, got murdered while I was there. So I only finished two years, and then the writing came back because that's where right. I put my pain. Right. So that's like kind of the start of that's my. That's the start. <laughs> the start of it. And then from uh, Fall River, you went where? So I um, was in Fall River for a while. I went to school at Johnson Wales, and then after after I did that, I moved to. I got into retail actually. 
and I was managing clothing stores in downtown Boston. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I think I was like 18 at the time. And so I was like one of the youngest managers. And, um, you know, I always had my hustle and grind. So okay. first they gave me this like really like cheap 99 cent store. And I flipped that store, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I put up the dopest like uh, clothing displays. Okay. And so all these brothers from the you know the neighborhood would come through because that's where the inexpensive stuff was but right. i made it look right. fly right. you know okay. this is when yeah. this is before your time i say <laughs> carl Kanai, like the originator of, of hip-hop culture clothing one of the one of the originators and so um i won a contest i won a contest for the best sales i think i won like a thousand dollars and all mm. the other stores were like who's this girl who's this girl and um oh my sorry my daughter was calling and i had to decline her <laughs> sorry sasha um and so i um i realized when i was there though like wow is this what i went to school for i could have just got this job on my own and my best friend at the time uh, melissa martin she um we were really like big beach girls growing up in massachusetts and she moved to la mm -hmm. so she said you know let's just do it i think i had like 200 dollars in my pocket i had a job on the way here those of you that are listening from LA, I worked at the Fox Hills Mall. That was my first oh, journey oh, to wow. LA. <laughs> I got into a fist fight with a girl in the back room, like the second week there. That's she stole. Right. She stole. Like why for money. I'm like, yo, I'm from the hood too. Like, you're not gonna make me look bad. <laughs> and so I um the writing started pulling me again. And I realized that mm -hmm. I needed to now find out uh what that was and before I get into that, I guess I don't know. Make sure that I don't I don't keep going. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, okay. So I was working there. I left there, and this is how I would say God works in my life. When I flew here to L.A., I was on the plane with this girl named Nicole, uh, one of my sister friends, and she was in a group. Like she could have been her and her sisters could have been Destiny's Child before Destiny's Child. Her parents were like the Huxtables. Her dad was is a dentist. Her mom's a lawyer. And shout out to the Williams family. <laughs> and so basically what happened was I met her. She was going to Cal Berkeley and I was coming here to L.A. And she said, when I get back, maybe you can come intern at the label that my parents own. So I was like, yeah, that would be dope. I mean, I, I grew up hip hop. They were R&B, but I grew up all kinds of music. So I was like the music industry was like second nature, my yeah. second love. I used to rap back in the day and all this <laughs> other stuff. I was Lady Chi. <laughs> <laughs> And so um, she was just, so she came back from school and introduced me to her parents. And I went to an event uh, called the BRE. Those people in yeah. LA, music industry, know the BRE, Cindy Miller. And uh, now, mind you, when I was in Massachusetts, I was rocking NWA, going to work with Attitude and everything. And then I go to this event and somebody said, you know, what do you do? I said, I'm a writer. You know, I'm like writing, you know, mm -hmm. public. I was thinking about doing a, being a, a publicist. And he said, well, this guy over here is getting ready to start a hip hop magazine named Suge Knight. You should go talk to him. I didn't know who Suge was. Uh, I knew okay. Dr. Dre. I knew N.W.A., but I didn't know Suge. I knew Death Row, right. you know, but I didn't know Suge's background. So I was like, all right, let me go. Let me go meet him. So I did. He introduced me as a writer and uh Suge and I talked. I mean, I saw a different side of Suge. They mm -hmm. was like, you know, he was business at the time. And um, long story short, he offered me a writing gig literally on the spot. And wow. so I was like, okay, I was going back to school at L.A. Pierce oh, yeah. and for writing. And I um, was living, I was renting a, uh, the pool house at the Williams family. And Suge offered me a job. And so I had to work in the studio like the first a uh, year, no, for, I'm sorry, okay. a year, first month. And um, I called him up one day and I was like, I don't want to work out the studio no more. All these guys are like trying to hook up and I'm just trying to focus on work. And he said, all right, well, you passed the test. And we wanted to, we wanted to see if you were a groupie. Oh. And and I wasn't, obviously. Right, right. So now he's like, you can go to the office now. Oh, wow. So it was a test. So that was go. the start of my uh, journey. And, and I then, had, yeah. Yeah, this also, you eventually went to Atlanta. Yeah, so I worked at Death Row. I, I ended up running the magazine. It didn't. The magazine never got published. It was called Death Row Uncut. Then I went and worked for Bill Duke in the film side, production side. Okay. Legendary actor Bill Duke, and I was here for three years. And and I just needed to detox off the high that I had at Death Row. And that's part of mental health too. Mm -hmm. um, when you grow up, 
and you um you know you want to be somebody because you weren't somebody you know and then all of a sudden this thing gets taken away or you're not doing it and that's where you felt like you were somebody that's where i identified as somebody so i had to go to la back to i went to atlanta to kind of like come back to myself okay and because i work film and television i that's why i mentioned those it took me a while but i got a job at turner broadcasting right. wearing both hats right. i ended up for 20 started out with twenty two thousand dollars i made more than that working at retail and then i 17 years later became an executive making six figures doing the licensing and production right which leads us to now you are working on a documentary which you can't yes. say the name and all that which is fine yes but we do want to discuss what it's about yes and that's our topic mental health so i just wanted the listeners to kind of get your vibe my backstory your backstory so they know how you got to where you are now great and um so so talk, tell us what exactly is mental health well you know i i'm not a, a therapist but i can I guess I, the personal story is that, as I mentioned, my mother raised my brother and I. My father wasn't in my life, and then I found him 15 years ago. And I went through those things like most girls do when you don't have your daddy, abandonment issues, choosing the wrong man. Uh, sadly, I, you know, I got divorced after having two beautiful children. Um, and when I found my dad, I found out that he was schizophrenic and bipolar. And I'm talking full-on schizophrenia. And thankfully, he's a, uh, you know, a veteran. He was in the Army, and so the VA hospital took care of him for years. And then when I found him, he was in the VA hospital. And then uh, towards the end of his last, like, seven years of his life, he was in a nursing home. And so I got front row seat to mental illness and mental health. Mental health because of how I grew up. PTSD, violence in the home. You know, my mother physically abused us and because she came from that, you know, verbally abused us. Um, I think it forced me to to be push myself to be more so I was addicted to work my brother sadly my brother unfortunately got addicted to drugs and he talks about it so I can mm -hmm. mention it and so that's how mental health affected us as individuals mental illness was now a new part of my life my father and so I wanted to understand why this happened and <laughs> at the same time there was this brother in Miami-Dade prison named Darren Rainey who um, had the same exact diagnosis as my dad, mental illness and uh, schizophrenia and bipolar. And he was in a prison in Miami-Dade and they left him in a shower for two hours and boiled this man to death. Mm. And so I, it really started me on like, why was this man in prison in the first place? Why did this happen? So mental health to me is just those things that we go through. On the mental health side, it's... Well, real quick, can you explain the difference between mental health Versus mental illness. Yes, that was my question. Oh, oh well, now you mental, read my mind. <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it's. I'm glad you asked because I was on a podcast on another podcast, and I, I was talking about depression and, and and growing up, and the and she didn't know that that was mental health. Depression, you know, when people get suicidal thoughts, um, and having PTSD. You know, I always tell people PTSD isn't just for soldiers. You could have been in a violent home growing up. And we go through that. Anytime you're in an unsafe environment, that's PTSD. You can get PTSD triggers as well from being, being beat up. I went to the screening last night of Wu-Tang, American Saga, and you know I saw they showed a scene where RZA went through that when he was a little boy being beat up um, and how it still f clicked sometimes for him. And so you know, depression, um, you can go through anxiety. You know, mm -hmm. A lot of kids are go dealing with anxiety. I mean... You know, social media is a blessing and a curse. You know, we we have to deal with that. Yeah. So it's those things: depression, abuse. Uh, some people suffer from sexual abuse, uh, physical, verbal abuse, various forms of abuse, um, and anything that you know basically can take your health. And some people cope with drugs, right? Mental illness is now when it's schizophrenia, when it's bipolar. It's it actually could be medically you know they can basically tell you medically like this is what you are they do screenings for it mm. um anxiety is even one of those forms so their illnesses and their health the thing is is that um there's a stigma around both of them that's why people suffer in silence um and a lot of times you know i can talk all day about that and how you know we don't look at it we, we learn sex ed in school before we learn about mental health and mental yeah. illness 
and our kids um i have two daughters you guys have children um they see things before we do you know like brothers and sisters keepers like they can see that their friends are sad and there's nobody to talk to sometimes parents have those of us like me who grew up dirt poor you know you don't have access so you just deal with it you know yeah. and so um this became very personal for me in my journey of mental health issues that I dealt with from physical and verbal abuse, thankfully never sexual abuse, but it's, it, you know, you could still date later and go through something that you didn't realize mm -hmm. was kind of in that mm -hmm. form. So you have to, we have to start talking more about it. We have to make it okay. And I think that's starting to be a lot more conversation around it, thankfully. Um, but my documentary is really talking about what happens when it happens in your own home and you're really limited to where to go. Right. With judgments and opinions <laughs> so strong in our society, do you feel um, with social media, do you feel that it's been more helpful bringing up this topic or do you feel people hide because of the, uh, the opinions that they may get or the, the bullying or... I mean, I, I think, you know, in one way, I, I, I love it because I think uh, I always say that even with my own posts, you know, we're really going on there to say, look at me, look at me, look at me, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, look what I'm doing. I'm somebody. Can you see me? And that's all we ever wanted, you know, and um, I feel like that gives you an opportunity to have people see you to make you feel like you're somebody, although we have to get that inside first. We can't look for those exterior places to the exterior because those people don't care about us the way that the people in our circles do. So I do love it in, a, in one facet that we're able to share and say, hey, and I, I personally use it because I want people to know that I came from nothing, but I can still, you know, I'm gonna, I want to inspire you with my hustle, my grind. Right. I want to inspire you with, as I say, with my company, Balance and Acts telling stories changing lives like mm -hmm. because i'm still that kid from the projects you know um i love i love that we can go there to also from a, a from a healthy uh, wellness health and wellness to show that from a mental health standpoint there are people on social media that are there to talk to you there um they have you know different advocates that are out there that have been through what we've been through and they put their messages out there so it makes it easier for people to find if they have access to phones. I mean, there are people in homeless that don't have access to phones. Yeah. You know, so I do love that part of it. Uh, what I don't like is that when people are mean and don't understand that somebody's putting their pain out there and they think it's funny. It's not funny. There's nothing funny about it. Like, this is somebody who actually probably has no one to talk to and this is their place to go. Um, but that, you know, when I look at people like that, I think, what did you go through? Why are you so mean? Why did, yeah. what pain are you going through? You know? There's always something. Yeah. I believe that. There's always something. Uh, people are underneath. taught to hate. People are taught to hate. You know what I mean? I really truly believe that. And it is a, a, a parent's job to, to fix that. And, you know, but, if they're in pain too, they're gonna pass that on. Do you think most people are aware of their <laughs> situations that are dealing with mental health? Um, you know, I think that you know a lot of us are living in denial, especially for men. Mm. Um, you know, uh, especially for our black men. I mean, I feel like they're, and and I'll speak for all men. Really, I don't want to speak for all men, but I think that. When we see shoot, when we see shoot people going to school shooting, I think that's an act of like the not just hate, but they've reached their limit mentally, and they, you know, schizophrenia is a real thing. Like I, my brother, uh, as I mentioned earlier, is a drug user, and you know, I think he was bottling up a lot of stuff, and he's in my documentary, so he can sp mm -hmm. I can speak freely about him. He ended up abusing Adderall, and Adderall, you know, when you're a drug user, you don't take one, you take 14. Right. And one of the side effects of Adderall is psychosis. A lot of kids, students are taking Adderall, not realizing that you take too many, you're going to start hearing things that you think are real. Right. I mean, I my brother has called me and said, there's five guys outside with masks on. They're about to kill me. You got to, you, know, you, you know, and call me around the clock. Mm. You know, it's real to him, right. and it probably is. You know what I mean? 
because I really believe we tap into something in our brain when we use that's why they're called demons um but he for the first time talked about what he went through and it was the first time in my documentary that my brother actually opened up even to me as close as we are to what he had been suffering from and I think that you medicate it so I think for men uh you need to be more support groups that's that's and we talk about that a lot on this show (laughs) because there's this thing where men have to be so tough and they have to be in control and and nothing's wrong with me and I can handle everything and I think that's it's hard. It's difficult because it's it's unfair in a sense. You know, it is. we're not we're not able to cry. We're not able to show emotion because then you're looked at as weak, you know, but um, we go through the same things other people go through. You know what I mean? And, it, it, you know, situations hurt. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that's the best way to heal. But yet you're looked at as being weak. Right. And therefore you don't talk about it or you don't show it or you tuck it in or you hide it, which is bad, which is bad. And it it leads to something else and you don't, you don't ever get it out or you don't heal from it properly. Um, And that you speaking about your brothers is, I mean, I can't relate to, to his situation um, hundred percent, but I understand him going through something and not really being able to speak about it and holding it in. Um, I've I mentioned it before and I'll talk about it. I don't care, but I was molested as a child and for a very, very long time. Um, I never discussed it. I never, I didn't want to believe it. I, I thought it was uh, hoping that it was a dream, knowing it wasn't. And it's embarrassing, you know, and it, as I get older and as I think about my behaviors in the past, it really, really changed my life it really affected me badly in so many ways, so many ways it's, and it still messes with me and and it's changed who I am. And I'm still trying to piece that together, but little comments here, little comments there as, as simple and playful as someone may think it is, it has such a strong effect on me. And um, it's something I struggle with still, you know, but I'm, I'm more open about it. I'm, I'm, uh, I acknowledge it and I'm trying to deal and cope with it. But it's sad that for a good 30 plus years of my life, I I held it in and didn't discuss it. I didn't have therapists. I didn't have anything because I don't want it to be true. Right. You know, and, and it wasn't until my older brother tweeted something about it. We had never discussed it. My older brother and I, because it was um, it happened to both of us mm-hmm. and we had never discussed it. So you didn't even know that it happened to you. I know it I know it happened to me and no, I know it yeah. happened to him too. Uh, but I didn't want to believe it. And it was the same. And person, we never right? yeah, and we <laughs> never ever brought it up. We never discussed it, nothing. And he tweeted something on Twitter, and when he tweeted that and I read it, that was like it's true. Yeah. It's true. It's like, you know, and yeah. I called him up and and I was like, It's true, right? Sad. And and um and he's it it's it's interesting because his his um position in it was so different than mine so different than mine um it felt like he was okay not okay with it but he felt to me i don't want to speak for him but it felt for me that he was accepted it knew it was true was able to dealt with it mm-hmm. just a completely different space than me when when i did that i cried i went to shower i cried I felt disgusted. I was taking showers. I just felt nasty and it messed me up because now it was just, now I knew now I couldn't fake it. And, um, it messed with me for a long time and it still does. And, um, that's why when you were talking about your brother being so close, but still having something he couldn't discuss, right? It's hard, but I get it because I'm, I'm a man and I get not being able to open up and it's hard, you know? Oh, is that my no, no, that's okay so no I just I just when when you said that it it triggered that for me because I can relate to that one being close with the sibling and not mentioning it and two um being a man and not feeling able to discuss something right you know um what I wanted to say and first of all I want to commend you or I'm sorry guys I'm on live and, um, <laughs> all in the social media live and that's okay my 
my power just went out, so I had to make sure I, I could plug it in. But first of all, I want to commend you for be your bravery and um, for being honest because there's a lot of young men that need to hear that and women. Um, mm -hmm. One of the men that I interviewed in my documentary is Mr. David Moody, who is a very prominent and prominent um, black-owned construction company in Atlanta, Georgia. He actually did the International Wing and, and many, many things in Atlanta. And like you, he stayed, it happened to him as a young man. Yeah. And he, um, almost 30 some odd years later, 25 to 30 years later, he was coming back from a, like he went to a conference and it just came out. It, it just, he couldn't yeah. function. And he said he cried for five hours driving home. And he and his wife, you know, uh, he has an amazing family. I love the Moody family. And he, um, he actually now, speaks very openly about it and mm -hmm. he's actually has done a book about it and he you know he he talks about who his abuser was um in the documentary it's in yeah. my documentary and just that that thing about you know he didn't want his mom he he said he, he thought his mom kind of knew but wasn't sure because the babysitter went away but he never wanted to hurt her so he never mentioned it mm. and so he lived with that for 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 years um, and you know you could go into Moody Speaks, uh, I believe dot com. Just Google David Moody, and you could see a lot of what he writes about in that. Um, and I mean, he's a very well known, wealthy businessman in Atlanta. And so, for him to talk about that was tough at first yeah. because you don't want people to say, "Oh, they're <coughs> oh they're not going to be able to do business now because of such and such and such and such." And that's so unfair. I think when more of us show our scars, and I think for men, another thing that I love uh, in Atlanta, uh, the attorney, his name is Malawi David, he has this thing called the Black Man Lab, and it's that they have it at the Y, and it's all men, from little kids to 80-year-olds, hmm. and they sit in there, and they no women allowed, and they're, they talk about all of those things, and I think that more men need to do that because... It's affecting our kids. I say infecting. I don't even use the word affect sometimes. I like to say infecting because mm. what happens is you get into these relationships and you have all of this pain bottled up inside of you and then you get married or you get in a relationship and you haven't really been um, healed. Mm -hmm. You yeah. haven't, you know, so you bring that. And, and, and we all do. We come together as these broken parts. And, you know, that's why this last year and a half I've taken time by myself. I'm not dating no, I'm not dating. <laughs> um, and I'm not looking for anybody sliding my DM. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, you know, you go through that. I had to take some time for myself. I had to really learn how to become detox. And, and this, this documentary helped me, actually. So I think that more men need to come together. Because at the end of the day, you guys are our leaders. You know, women, I think, have stepped so far. And we are, I'm very alpha female. I know my cousin mm -hmm. over here is, too. Yes. Um, you know, but... We definitely want our men to lead and be strong and and to, yeah, but you need but we you do yes. need to speak more and you need to tell little kids you need to come together and do speaking engagements yeah. about, you know, putting a face to the pain is different than them just hearing your voice when they could see oh my god, you know he's Michael Jackson's nephew oh my, and he's speaking and that makes about it hard. this that makes it really yeah hard. but you have to talk about it yeah you know because that's what this legacy now can become the mm -hmm. Jackson legacy can now become that because one thing Michael was famous for was speaking about world pain you know what I mean and so this is your way this is your lane you're not following in his footsteps you have your own and to me personally I'm just this is just coming to me because I'm and I don't I don't mean to like preach but I think that that's your walk, you know, not just through music, but mm -hmm. I think your walk is also to be able to let these kids see that if it can happen to him, you know what yeah. I mean? Then any, it can happen to me. Then now I, then now I don't feel like just because I'm poor, like a lot of times, like I know for me growing up, any abuse and violence that I, I mean, I, my cousin got hit in the head with an ax, blood splattered on me, you know, oh. from another cousin. It was a small ax. He lived, but that was normal. My grandmother was like, go wash up. And less time to eat. Like that was normal for us. And when you grow up poor, that becomes your normalcy. But when someone can say, "Oh my God, he didn't grow up like I did, and he went through the same thing," then mm -hmm. that becomes yeah. something that they can actually heal from. And you know, I think that's really important. It's it's um very true. 
and it's hard it's hard for uh, for me with my personal situation because i'm quote unquote a jackson um people think i had it easy people think this you didn't oh you were never poor and this and that and no i wasn't I wasn't poor i didn't grow up poor i grew up in a huge house had an elevator this and that but you know that doesn't mean that i didn't struggle in certain ways it i mean little do you know look at what i look at what i'm dealing with right. you know and I, I never acted better than anyone else i was never taught that i was better than anyone else and i never treated anyone that that they were less than me um but it was hard because i had this thing and on top of all these other issues you know that every other kid goes through as far as like going through teenage years and all those you know that's all normal everybody goes through that but i had this big thing on top of me um and and quote unquote i'm a jackson and dealing with all that was very difficult mm -hmm. you know and then i had other things that just because i was a jackson right. that i had to deal with so people can say you had it easy you you were sheltered you had all this you didn't have to struggle i had a different type of struggle right you know and the struggle i had i don't think people can relate to no, they and, they won't they won't understand it. And you, you know lost what I mean? your mom on top. And in, I, in a, in I've a had a very, way. I've had a I've had a difficult set of cards. You know, everybody has their stuff. I have right. mine, and I'm aware of it. And it's been very hard for me to navigate through it all, mm -hmm. and find a support system that that takes that in and accepts that and understands that for me. Right. You know because. I'm supposed to be this. I'm supposed to be that. You're supposed right. to be strong. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to be a man and do this and all that. And and here I am trying to figure out how to do all that right. with what I was dealt with, you know? Well, I mean, what I would say is, and this is something I live by personally, um, you have to use your pain for purpose. Mm -hmm. And I think that I know it sounds crazy and a lot of people will probably not agree with me, but I feel like what we go through is to help others anyway. Yeah. And it wasn't for nothing. And so, you know, I think, you know, everything I've been through, I realized that that's why I'm able to be the person I, I am. You know, my grandmother used to say, God reads hearts, you know, and I always remembered that, you know. And so I think that everything you've been through is so you can make a greater impact because of the lane that you are in. You can make even a greater impact in those messages. And you don't have to wait for the support group. You need to pull them to you because you yeah. are you have that access. That's different. And so, you know, you could even today, like I think if anyone listening and I, I've posted, uh, if you're not following him already, you should be following him, Taro. Um, you can give me your, <laughs> your Instagram. But I think that that's where it starts. People reach out to each other. And that's that is the beauty of social media. We could we could reach it, reach, reach yeah, each other. And if we're true. genuine, we could do it. Um, I also think that, you know. You, you did go through a lot, and that's one of the big things that I always talk about, too. It doesn't discriminate. Mental health and mental illness sees no face. It, it doesn't discriminate. It mm -hmm. helps. Um, one of the, the people that I, 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 one of my mentors that I love daily on the mental health side is uh, Paul Gianfrido, and he's the, the president and CEO of Mental Health America across the United States. And Paul and um, has had adopted four mixed kids um, one of his sons is living homeless in the streets of San Francisco mm. on purpose, you know, mm. and he had, he had everything, you know, he, he was there with all the IEPs and the 504s. Anybody who's, who has access knows about these things when you're in school and you need extra help. You know, a lot of times kids what put, get put in special ed, special needs, and they don't need that. Like I interviewed this one kid who um his, he was starving every day you know his mom was working like it's um, like a little thrift shop she had four kids in kansas some of them she got kicked two of them out they were out there hustling um his father was abusing his mom and you know he he was only a little boy and he, he was she could barely feed him and you know he'd go to school worrying was the father going to beat him up beat her up and so he couldn't focus he couldn't he couldn't read and write when you're starving and you're worried if your father's going to kill your mom and because he didn't focus his grades failed and they just put him in special head he wasn't he didn't need that he needed mental health help right. and they let him fall through the cracks but he's one of a billion people yeah. that have fallen through the cracks and so you know it doesn't discriminate and when it is mental illness that's even harder yeah. um Back in the Kennedy, President Kennedy days, 
you know, they closed down a lot of mental health, mental um, hospitals because a lot of people were still coming from war. A lot of people, the nurses were getting called to war. And so when they closed down one mental health, one mental, um, severely mentally ill, these are guys coming from war, mm-hmm. severe PTSD, uh, drug abuse, LSD causes psychosis. And so a lot of them, and that's how my father actually got schizophrenia. Because my father was a musician. He went to Berklee School of Music in Boston. He could still play till I buried him in 2017 when he passed the cancer. Um, that was one thing I always say is mental mental illness couldn't rob from him. But in these mental hospitals, they closed, they closed one down. There was 2,500 people in there. What do you think those people went? Yeah. The yeah. goal with during the presidency, because um, I interviewed um, Dr. Dr. Bertram S. Brown, who was one of the people that helped president that worked with President Kennedy. He's the last living person in that leg in that um, during that le- legislation. He was a psych psych uh, psychiatrist, and um, they closed those down with the hopes of opening up community centers, right? So that way these people could still be in the community, be around their families, and get the help they need. But then the next le- you know, president that came through cut those funds. And that's continuing, continuously still happening to mm-hmm. this day. Um, there's organizations like the <coughs> National Institute of Mental Health that uh, I also interviewed Dr. Uh, Joshua Gordon, who's the director of that. And they uh, answer up to the Secretary of State. They're trying to get research, more research yeah. and more research. What really needs to happen, in my opinion, is funding, state, yeah, you know, state funding. funding, federal funding. I mean, it gets cut. So what happens is that there are a lot of beautiful people throughout the United States, and this is what my documentary covers, that are taking it upon themselves to get give the people in their communities the help they need, right. and cool. not just medit, you know, with the uh, therapy. But I also have like uh, interviewed the brothers from Holistic Life Foundation, mm. Ali Smith and Atman and Andreas. And what they do is they do uh, mindfulness and yoga in schools in Baltimore. Mm. So these kids hear it over the intercoms in the morning. And I think that's what it's, that's what's going to take, yeah. you yeah. know, and we need to fund those people, people like that who are in the community that are trying to have those conversations and then they can help you. Mm-hmm. Um, Bree? You got anything? You just answered my question. Uh, <laughs> I told you she was I'm sorry. Answer I, as you can tell, I mean, I've been, I've been doing every single question I have. So, I mean, the documentary, you know, in short, is basically about my brother and I, my my personal journey. I'm in it in the first couple. They forced me to be in this thing. Shout out to uh, Sag- Sagrin Films, the So Gorilla Films, who was like my brother from another, who actually, you know, helped me put a camera in my hand. I purchased. You know, and has been like my uh, partner in filming this, and along with everyone else that made this happen. And the bottom line is that it's about the importance of of getting at the front end of mental health, mental illness, in the underserved communities and with our kids, so that they don't suffer later in life. That's great. That's great. And and this documentary, did you finish it? Are you still working on it? And oh, so we we interviewed over fifty seven people. Okay. And uh, we are pitching it. It's with a couple of networks right now. Okay. They're reviewing it, so say a prayer. All right. um, we still have to... I, I'm really pushing it now to be more of a docu-series because I, oh. I, after you know, it started out with one conversation and it grew into yeah. so many other things, thankfully to everybody who <clears throat> lent their time to me. And so now I'm pushing it to be more of a docu-series. And that's, that's where we're at now. So if anyone is you know, trying to push the message... Okay. You can hit me at Gina Barboza. That's my Instagram, G I N A B A R B O Z A. Um, and you know, you can let me know that this is something you care about as well. I'm I'm all about bringing everybody together. Well, we think it's great. Thank you. That you're uh, helping because there's it's it's a it's very personal. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure it was <laughs> quite an amazing journey in, in it. It was. It still yeah. is. I mean, I, I, I stepped down on faith. I put everything. I find I financed the entire thing. Oh, okay. I mean, it damn near made me broke, yeah. you know, yeah. but I, you know, I brought my own equipment. I, I made sure I paid my crew. It was that important for me to get this message out by any means necessary, you know, and I just think that and, you know, um, I, it started out with just you know, seeing my own kids, like being afraid even to, to go to school. Like, are they going to get, the school's going to get shot up, you know? Um, I mean, even Nicholas Cruz, Cruz, uh, Cruz, who 
shot up this sadly you know what he did we found out there was mental health issues going on with him you know that he kept trying to get help trying to get help mm-hmm. and unfortunately he didn't get that help and a lot of lives were taken because of that you know we need mm-hmm. to we need to not look at this not bully people that are crying mm-hmm. out loud mm-hmm. in different forms heavy but necessary and um yes and That's also, great. I want to add too, because of it, um, you know, I had a lot of people ask me how can they help. I started a foundation called Young CEO, okay. which is a young child evolving organization. Because as I mentioned, we need to get our, we need to have community centers mm-hmm. in in the United States, and this is my my first approach to trying to do that myself with with the team. Well, I think you're doing great work. Thank you. Continue it, and when this documentary comes out, we will definitely let everyone know. Okay. And um, it's been, I mean, it's a heavy, heavy topic. It's its not easy with the show. It's always a heavy topic, but it's um, necessary yes. to talk about it. Yes. And um, I thank you for coming. Thanks for having and sharing. me. Thanks for having and, me. And um, your journeys, just I thank you for that. Um, Bree, you got anything? No? Nothing. You guys are Nada. awesome. <laughs> Keep doing the good work. All right. Uh, <laughs> we're going to wrap up the show. Um, we want to thank you, Gina, for coming in. Thank you, G. And um, everybody, you know, just be Bye, kind. Guys. Be kind to yourself. And um, don't be afraid to seek help and, and be honest with yourself. Yes. And, um, take care of everyone because you don't know what everyone's going through. Yes, right? there's a lot of advocates out there. NAMI, yeah. uh, Mental Health America. I mean, there's a lot of amazing foundations out there, that uh, organizations that are there. Yeah. So make sure you reach out to them if needed. Um, that's our show. We'll see you guys next week. Same time. Um, take care. Have a great week and, uh, God bless. Take care. Thank you for listening to the power of love. We are here to provide hope resources and a community. So no one feels alone in their grief. Support for our power of love radio show comes from a variety of generous donors, including supporters from institutions, individuals, and corporations through the D.D. Jackson Foundation. DDJF is a nonprofit 501c3 organization.